Next week, I'm going to begin a series of messages on the miracles of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. And this morning, this, this, this message is kind of an introdu- introductory message to those messages. Jesus, you know, well, John's gospel is, is unique. It's different from the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John presents a lot of evidence concerning who Jesus really was, being God in the flesh, the Son of God. And the miracles or John refers to them as signs that Jesus performed. Jesus never performed miracles to draw a crowd to him. He never performed miracles as a form of entertainment. There was always a message behind the miracles as we're going to see in turning water into wine, raising Lazarus, uh, stilling the storms. There was always a message behind that. And Jesus never performed miracles with the purpose of drawing people to himself. The miracles were there to prove who he was, that he was indeed the Son of God. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, it says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Deeds, but the chief beneficiary of the works of Christ was not himself, but us. These things were done for us. And so John focuses his gospel on the signs that Jesus performed. And the signs were public miracles that attested to the true deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The miracles are called signs because of what they signify. And so uh, John reminds us that the object of saving faith is Jesus Christ himself. We're not saved by believing that certain doctrines are true. We're not saved by believing in the church or being a member of the church. But we are saved only by responding in personal faith to the biblical testimony of Jesus, trusting and yielding our lives to him as our Savior and Lord. Not only John's gospel, but the entirety of the Bible. You know, I remember as a young believer, one of the most astounding things I ever discovered was that the Bible is about one thing from beginning to end. Or rather, the Bible is about one person from beginning to end. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only John's gospel, but the entire Bible's purpose is to believe, to lead us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Notice what John says here. Uh, it, now, if you, if you back up, Jesus has appeared to his disciples. And it's interesting because John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And here in chapter 20, when Jesus appears to the disciples, the first time he appeared, Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas, you know, it's where we get the, the idea of a doubting Thomas. And Thomas says, you know what? When the disciples tell him about it, he says, I wasn't here, and unless I see it for myself, unless I, I, I touch his wounds, I won't believe. So Jesus appears again, and Thomas is there. And I find this very interesting. Jesus said, hey, Thomas, come here, put your hands in here, put, touch my wounds. Thomas didn't do it. You know what Thomas did? He fell on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. And so John's gospel points us to Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God. And so when he says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also did in the presence of the disciples, were, uh, which are not written in his book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus <coughs> is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing that, you will have life in His name. Alright? So the first thing we see is that Jesus is God's Son. John says that He recorded details about Jesus not based on how interesting they were or how they might satisfy our he presented those signs that would lead us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. What we are to believe concerns both the person and the work of Jesus. When he says that you may believe that Jesus is the, uh, the, the Christ, that's the works that he did. And the Son of God, that's the person that he is. All right, so John is pointing us toward this. Uh, and the miracles that Jesus records bear testimony to the deity of Christ uh, since they cannot be accounted for any other way. As we will see next week, we're going to begin next week with Jesus turning water into wine. You know, it, it's a great message for us whenever we become disappointed or discouraged. But one of the things you will find is that one minute it was water and the next it was wine. Do you know who else can do that? No one. Jesus stood at the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walked out. You know who else can do that? No one. So these signs, Jesus says, they attested that, that you know, you either must believe who he is or you have no answers. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus claimed deity for himself. When Martha standing there and, and he says, Martha, your, your brother will live again. She says, I know, Lord, on that day of judgment, when the end time he will come. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. And so many people claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. But there were many instances, and that is one of them, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. There was an instance where Jesus was standing before the, um, the religious leaders. And he told them, he says, before Abraham was, I am. When he said, I am 
They started picking up the biggest rocks they could find because they were about to stone him for blasphemy because he called himself the I Am. And so John records these miracles. Only God could stand before the tomb of a dead man who'd been dead four days, call out his name, and see him emerge from the grave. And John says that all this and other signs are to persuade us that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe this morning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That He is God Himself, God the Son. Are you convinced of the deity of Christ uh, that, that Jesus is the Son of God? John says, that's why I wrote these things, so that you may believe that. But John also had another interest. He says there in, in verse 31, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ. Now, I want to tell you something. Christ is not his last name. Christ is not a name at all. Christ is a title. Christ means Messiah. And in seeking to persuade us that Jesus is uniquely the Son of God in his person, John sought to, uh, for us to believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. The proper way to say it is Jesus the Christ. And, and it means Messiah. And as I said, Christ is a title. It's not a name. And Jesus, he says, is the long-awaited Messiah fulfilling uh, the saving expectations of the, of the Old Testament. Throughout from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Malachi, there is instance after instance after instance after instance of God pointing people towards the time when their awaited Messiah would come. And Jesus is it. He is the Christ. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. First turn with me to Luke. First turn to Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> when you get to Luke chapter 4, hold your finger there and turn to Isaiah 61. All right, in Isaiah 61, we look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord Yahweh is upon me, because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of Yahweh, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Now turn with me to Luke Chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and so stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying to them, what Isaiah said about me, 
Several hundred years ago, he said, I am here to fulfill. And John presents Jesus as the Christ, and he summons us to believe on him for salvation. In the Old Testament, there were three anointed offices. There was a prophet, there was a priest, and there was a king. But in the Old Testament, no one person could hold all three offices, or even two of them. You, you were either a priest, you were a prophet, or you were a king. And they all pointed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John identifies Jesus as a prophet who reveals God to his people. In John chapter 1 and verse 18, we read uh, earlier. Let me turn over here to it. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus revealed the prophetic truth of God, not only in His words, but in His person. In John 24.9, Jesus says, Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. So Jesus was the prophet that would come. Do you believe in Jesus as Savior who uniquely reveals the truth of God? This is what the prophet did. Every time the prophet in the Old Testament would come, he always began speaking with these words. Thus says the Lord. And many times Jesus says, you have heard, but I say to you, it is written, but I say to you, he was the prophet who would come, the one who would point people, the prophet's main priority. We, we often think of prophecy as people predicting the future and what's going to happen in the future. But that wasn't the primary office of a prophet. The prophet would come with a message from God and say, here's who God is and here's what God says to you. And here's what God expects of you. And this is what Jesus did. He came and he fulfilled the office of a prophet. But John also identifies Jesus in his office as the saving priest for his people. <clears throat> the Old Testament priests, they brought people into God's presence by offering sacrifices to atone for sins. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, the high priest would go, and, and, and only the high priest could go into the, to the Holy of Holies, where the mercy seat of God was, and he would offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people upon that altar. But here's the difference. You see, before the high priest could go in there, he first had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. And then he could go into the holy place and offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. But Jesus didn't have to do this. He had no sin. But as our high priest, as the great high priest, Jesus uh, is the anointed priest of God's mercy. And John calls on us to confess our need for saving grace and to believe on Jesus' atoning death for the forgiveness of our sins. As a prophet, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. There on the cross of Calvary, he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And he is that, he is that 
priest. And, and the writer to the Hebrews tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him because he ever lives to make intercession for them. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ, do you ever think about this, that right now our high priest is in heaven praying for us, interceding for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I need it. Well, I do know about you. You do too. So John presents Christ here. Uh, throughout this gospel, he presents him as both the prophet of God and the priest of God. But John also bears testimony to Jesus as the king over God's people. Jesus, his miracles reveal his sovereignty over sickness, over blindness, over death. You know, to me, it's a fascinating thing. Somebody asked me one time, they said, I don't understand. When Jesus stood up there to the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. Why did he come forth? And I said this, because when the king of life speaks, death listens. Jesus came to destroy death. And he is the king over this. Jesus came as a, as a king from heaven with power and glory. And, and, and we must submit our hearts to his saving rule. He is sovereign. You know, we, we as reformed or Calvinists, whatever you want to call us, one of our things is we, we, we focus on the sovereignty of God. You know what sovereignty means? That just means you're the one in control. Jesus proved time and time and time again that he was the one in control. One of my favorite stories <clears throat> from the Bible is Jesus was walking along and there was a leper that came to him. Now, you know, in the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin because it slowly deteriorates the body. Just as sin slowly deteriorates our bodies and our souls. But sin also separates you from everyone. Whenever someone in the Bible had leprosy, they were, they were commanded to stand apart from everybody. If anybody came near them, they were to cover their mouth like this and cry out and say, unclean, unclean. Sin makes us unclean. But there's a leper who comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing. Okay, now here's the best part of the story. I get chills when I think of this. He touched him. He didn't have to touch him. All he had to do was say, you're clean, now go your way. But he didn't. Do you know how many times this man had probably sat and looked down and saw his family down there and longed to hold his children and to hold his wife, but he couldn't because no one would come near him. No one. He was not allowed to touch anyone. No one was allowed to touch him. But Jesus, when he stood there, he touched him. It shows the compassion of Christ. By the way, the leprosy went away immediately. Just as when Jesus comes to us in the leprosy or our sin and he touches us and immediately it's gone. So he is king. We, we must submit 
to the ruling authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say submit, I mean I must submit my heart to it, not just my actions. You know, you can submit your actions without submitting your heart. But it won't last long. But when your heart's in it, and your heart is bowed to the Lord Jesus Christ, then your actions will follow. And they will be real. It reminds me of what Jesus said to them when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I don't want to be that way. I want my heart to be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our prophet, he is our priest, and he is our king. And we will one day bow in his presence. That's why I believe, folks, a lot of people disagree with me, and that's okay. That one day I will walk into heaven and I will promise you I am not going to run up and hug Jesus. I'm going to fall on my face before him. And bow before my king. Now I may get up from there and hug him. But the first thing I'm going to do is bow on my face before him. And bow before Christ. But but, uh, John shows us throughout his gospel. When the king of glory comes. He will rule with a rod of iron. And when he says to sickness go. It goes. When he says to the blind see. They see. And I am perfectly convinced that the same voice that said, Lazarus, come forth, is the same voice that said, let there be light. Because he is the king. So given all that John records concerning Jesus, it's astonishing to me that people are reluctant to claim Jesus as their Lord. But John, by pointing out the miracles. Now, again, let me emphasize here. John John does not record the miracles of Jesus. And Jesus does not do the miracles for the purpose of saving people. They will never do that. There was one time when Jesus stood and he took a few fish and a few loaves of bread and he fed 5,000 people. And they followed him everywhere they went. And he stood up one day and he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And they all left. And Jesus said, You didn't follow me because of who I am. You followed me because of what I gave you. Today we see a lot of that going on. Jesus is Savior and He's Lord. And we must submit to that. Let us believe in Him, committing our salvation wholly in to those pierced hands that that bled for us. As He hung there on that cross. And He said, It's finished. It's finished. He came to do what? The Father commanded. Jesus said it is finished. It's accomplished. It's done. 
And we goes all the way back to the first chapter of John when John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus said it is finished, you know what was wrong? You know what was finished? The sin of the world was gone. Now when we say the world, we're talking about God's people. Not talking about the whole world. That's another sermon right there. But we're talking about God's people. Our sin is gone. But the ultimate purpose of John's gospel is that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, we would have life in His name. Eternal life. That's what he says, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Back in John chapter 3 and verse 36. <clears throat> says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So, Eternal life is the spiritual power imparted to our souls by the Holy Spirit. We look around and we see people everywhere going about their lives, going to their jobs, taking care of their families, going to church. And we call that life, but that's not life. That's existence. You know, I also remember as a young believer, <clears throat> my pastor told me one time, he said, you know what? He said, I want you to go and I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. And I said, well, is that in the Bible? And he said, yes, it's in the Bible. And I read the book of Ecclesiastes and I came back and I told him, I said, that book depressed me. I said, according to that book, everything we do in life is a waste of time. And he said, exactly. Because Solomon is talking about existence. But Jesus came that we might have life. John, John chapter 10 and verse 10. He says the thief, that's Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. And have it abundantly, eternal life. Charles Spurgeon one time said that God the Holy Spirit is with believers breathing into them a new, holy, heavenly life. They are dead to the world and buried with Christ, but they live unto God, never more to be slain by sin. Are you alive this morning? See, life is when you have purpose. And our purpose is to glorify God. Jesus said that we are to have life abundantly. That means he wants us to enjoy life. Again, I'll refer to the sermon next week in Jesus turning water into wine. In the Bible, wine is usually a sign of joy. And Jesus took water. I'm going to wind up preaching next week's sermon this morning. Jesus took water. One of the most common things on earth. One of the most prevalent things on earth. And turned it into wine. Something special. Something new. And this is what he does. And if we understand 
What kind of life is offered to us by the gospel? If we feel our need for this salvation, then surely we will urgently seek the means by which we might have eternal life for ourselves. And John says, these things I have written to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that? That He is the Son of God. Do you believe that? John says, if you believe that, then you can have eternal life. But you have to believe that first. We have to believe in who Christ is and what He's done. Who He is is the Son of God. What He's done is be the Messiah of God. He came and He bore the sin of His people and He has taken our sins from us. Life comes through faith in Jesus by believing in His name. And the God of grace offers you eternal life through His Son. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no eternal life without Jesus. None. Until we bow the knee before Christ in full confession of our sin and say like the publican, God be merciful to me a sinner. Acknowledge who I am. When we come to Christ, we must come with nothing. No righteousness. No pride. Nothing. When Jesus spoke about the narrow way, the narrow road, He said many will go on the broad road, which leads to destruction. I'll tell you folks, the broad road is full of religious people. The broad road is full of church members. But Jesus said, narrow is the gate, and few there be that find it. We can carry nothing through it. We must come. I love, I love, to me, one of the greatest lines ever written in a song in the history of the world. is this right here. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And this is what we must do. Life comes through Christ. We must submit ourselves wholly to Him, resolving to worship Him alone as Lord and God. Trust Him and call on Jesus to be our Savior through faith in His name, and we can have eternal life. So as we go through these series of messages through the miracles, I want you to keep this in mind. Jesus turned water into wine so that I could have eternal life. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Jesus stood up and stilled the storm so that I could have eternal life. That's his whole thing behind it. Not to, not to put on a show or make people say, oh, look what a great guy he is. It was Jesus saying, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 4, Jesus meets with a woman at the well. And they have a conversation. And Jesus points out her sin to her. A very subtle way. Go call your husband. Well, I don't have one. He said, I know you've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. And she immediately changes the subject and says, you know, are we supposed to worship here or are we supposed to worship there? You know, it's really kind of comical because she does exactly what everybody does. But by the time his conversation with her was over, she said to him, I know 
you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Do you know this morning that Jesus is the Christ? Because you see, is he your Messiah? Is he the one who would come? Bear the sin of your, bear your sins. Be buried, raised from the grave. And call out and say, all who are heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. He said, and everyone who comes to me, I'll in no way cast out. But John says, and, and as we go through these, these series of miracles we're going to look at, we find the joy in Jesus in the midst of our disappointments with the water and the wine. We see the fear of death taken away in the raising of Lazarus. And a lot of things in between there. And we'll look at those as we go along. But this morning, let us focus on this. Let, us, let, let your heart grab hold of this, folks, and hold on to it. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the Christ. And I believe you can save me. You can wipe all my sin away. And give me eternal life. Let's pray. Father. Oh, God, we thank you this morning for your word. <clears throat> thank you for this gospel. Thank you for the gospel, which tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is prophet, priest, and king. He is everything. He is all in all. And Lord, may our hearts lay hold of this this morning. And rest in the fact that Jesus can be our Savior, our Lord, as we submit to his authority, as we submit to him in everything. And say from our hearts, Father, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness.